0: Welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash mediumcoolpod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, and we'll pop up, and at mediumcoolpod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com, or you can find me at Austin Glidden on Twitter. You can search Austin Glidden on Letterboxd. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Austin Glidden. You'll find me where you look so definitely uh, you know come chat with me to be fun Um, and definitely hit up medium cool if you have any suggestions that you want to hear certain content or you want to you know hear about a certain movie or whatnot uh, definitely let us know and we would love to uh, you know dive into whatever you're interested in. So, uh, speaking of which, today we are going to be closing the Under the Radar Marathon, a.k.a. the Nick Petitio Appreciation Marathon, with the last entry in Part 1 of this marathon. I have plenty of Under the Radar movies to do, but we're going to go ahead and close this one up for now. And uh, we're going to be closing it out with the Australian horror movie, Next of Kin, from 1982. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. But after that, I'm going to be talking with Joe, and Joe and I are going to be discussing Ken Russell's *The Devils* from 1971, one of the most controversial films I've ever heard about. Uh, it was like banned everywhere. I don't know. We're going to talk about it. It's 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 a fun it's a fun title to discuss with Joe, especially. <laughs> uh, so hopefully, you guys enjoy that. I do also want to point out that this is episode 53, marking the first episode of our second medium cool year. So we have completed an entire 52 episode year, and now we are embarking on the second. And so thank you guys for sticking with us. If you've been here from the beginning, you are the best. I love you. Uh, If you have joined us since then, you rule just as much So sorry for taking away some some praise from the people that have been here from the beginning. But I appreciate you all the same. The point is, the important thing is, rather, you're here. And I'm happy that you are. So uh, I'm not going to waste any time with this. I want to go ahead and jump into Next of Kin. And uh, hopefully you enjoy my thoughts here. Next of Kin is directed by Tony Williams. It came out in 1982, uh, written by Michael Heath and Tony Williams, the director. And uh, the cast is uh, Jackie Karen, who is the main character that plays Linda, and John Jarrett, who is the only person uh, most people would probably know if you're into horror because he was in the film, uh, he was like the bad... Like Aussie redneck guy uh, in uh, Wolf Creek, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that guy's in it, but he's super young here. Looks super different. You can you can tell it's him. But he just looks a lot different. Uh, It was released April 30th, 1982 in Australia. And, you know, in a large house turned rest home for the elderly, a daughter reads her mother's diary. Soon, events that are mentioned in her mother's diary begin to happen to the daughter, turning this strange exploitation horror film into something otherworldly. Having been labeled Australia's the shining, the film struck a chord with audiences but never made its way to international fame, never getting an official US release date until February 26, 2019, and that debut was on Blu-ray, so it never had a theatrical release in the US. Now, I first heard of this movie when I was watching the documentary Not Quite Hollywood, which I think came out in 2011 if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Quentin Tarantino was a talking head in the film. He was interviewed for it. And uh, just, (laughs) I love that. It doesn't say filmmaker or anything. It just says Quentin Tarantino. Below it, it says, like, film fan or something, (laughs) you know. Uh, But anyways, you know, he is kind of a a walking film index, you know, especially when it comes to genre movies. And he was talking about Next of Kin, and he called it The Shining of Australia. Now, uh, and I'm not quoting that, he might have said Australia's The Shining, whatever the thing is, the point is he compared it to The Shining, and that piqued my interest immediately seeing as how The Shining is my favorite horror film. So I saw this back in 2011, Uh, you know, you could not find it anywhere, like I said, there was no US release, there was of any kind that I know of, not even a VHS, and so I actually had to find some friends, uh, you know, because I was in college at the time, and... Uh, Some of my friends were on a part of a closed server torrent site for really obscure cinema, and they actually found like a VHS rip or something of this movie for me. Uh, You know, but luckily there are legal ways to find it now. Um, But yeah, I just had to watch some crappy you know, like VHS rip version of it or something when I first saw it, but this time I actually watched it on Shudder because it is available there. You can either get a subscription to Shudder or you can watch it through Amazon Prime's Shudder app. Uh, either way, you'll have to pay for it, but if you do go through Amazon and have never done it before, you can get a free, uh, you know, seven-day trial or whatever it is, and I encourage you to do that. Just know how to cancel it if you don't want it, if you don't want to pay the five ninety nine dollars or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, is this movie the shining of Australia? Uh, letterboxd user Ian West called it Dario Argento's the shining a in, in his like review comment thing. And, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how much I disagree with what this implies. <laughs> uh, is the shining an apt comparison in some ways? Yes. The Argento part is absurd, but I get the shining. Uh, I mean, this When you see Next of Kin, and I encourage you to see it, but when you see Next of Kin, I think you will pick up on the comparisons to The Shining, mostly with how the house has this almost paranormal life of its own. Uh, But Tony Williams, the director, uh, like the vast majority of filmmakers, dead or alive, pale in comparison to Stanley Kubrick. So saying Next of Kin in the same breath as The Shining feels ridiculous. That said, Next of Kin is doing its own thing. And it's part of, you know, it's part haunted house, part revenge killer, you know, part weird Aussie nuance exploitation. I don't know. It's 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 strange, but, you know, uh, it has a structure similar to Cronenberg's The Brood or uh, later with uh, Ty West's The House of the Devil, um, you know, where it's just a slow burn, you know, but the ending pays off in spades, but it's just a slow burn. Uh, it's it's not as good as the two I just mentioned though, The Brood or The House of the Devil, I don't think, um, but the last 30 minutes of Next of Kin is genuinely awesome. And luckily, the movie is less than, eight, uh, than uh, 90 minutes long, so the slowness is extremely tolerable in my view. I'm a very patient person with slow horror movies, so I enjoyed it, uh, but I do think that it could turn away some people. Uh, and though it has moments that shine, no pun intended, Um, you know, like I said, this will leave people underwhelmed. Some people, not all. If you're a horror fan, check it out. But just, you know, if you're a casual movie goer and you watch horror sometimes, I have a feeling this will bore you. Now, the film comes out during the Australian New Wave or New Australian Cinema, however you want to word it, uh, which transformed Australian cinema entirely. And uh, despite... A lot of Australian horror movies being gore fests or fright films. Next of kin is a very artful uh, takes a very artful approach to Aussie horror. Uh, clearly influenced by many classics before it, uh, you can see uh, some really kind of unique work done by cinematographer Gary Hansen, who shoots the film beautifully. There are a lot of really exciting visuals in the film, including an overhead following shot uh, recently poached by James Wan in Malignant. Uh, he uses the same thing, and even my wife was like, oh, look, a cool shot, and it was like that noticeable. Um, it's works so perfectly in Next of Kin. I mean, it's cool in Malignant, but it seems unnecessary. Uh, Next of Kin uses it great, and the shot is where Linda is running down a hallway. Linda's the protagonist. And Linda's running down the hallway in the film, and uh, you know you see from the top down, straight down as she's kind of running in slow motion down this hallway. It's uh, it's bizarre and just one of, if not the most memorable visual in the film. Maybe next to or or uh, akin <laughs> akin to uh, <laughs> uh, finding a dead body in a bathtub, which also happens. Uh, so there, there's there's some there's some weird stuff, but uh, the, the one with the dead body, that's just a haunting visual. Like, I have that in my mind just talking about it now. So the film is at least successful and kind of having a few memorable moments that you can take away. Jackie Karen plays Linda, a daughter who has just inherited her mother's house, uh, which years back was converted into a rest home. And while trying to fit into the goings-on of the house, she finds her mother's diaries and begins to read them. So, Linda is uh, also in love with Barney, played by John Jarrett, a guy I have a hard time explaining. Uh, he's the protective boyfriend with a history of recklessness, maybe? Uh, he gets his license taken away before the film begins. So, you know, he hitches rides with people to go to parties and such. I don't know. He's just like a weird character to me. But uh, Linda and Barney take on the house, mostly Linda, when weird things begin to occur. And the film zigs and zags, but it, it really never leaves you behind. It's pretty easy to follow in part because of the pacing, and uh, it does. If you're susceptible to the pacing and what the film's doing, it does build tension well. I am not as susceptible as others will be. Okay, I have some friends who've seen this, and uh, they're much bigger fans of it than me. So, uh, so that's the thing. But you know, I, I actually just want to say something about Jackie Karen as Linda. She's great. I actually really love her performance. I don't know exactly why, other than there are certain moments that are really, truly just awesome, but I, I love her performance kind of in a genre way, uh, and it, its it, I don't know. i She's just kind of a memorable part of the movie for me. I think I have too much against John Jarrett to appreciate him here, because I think he's just really boring in Next of Kin. I hated Wolf Creek, okay? Like, it's one of the few films that I gave zero stars, because I just... I just thought it was just cruel and boring, and it just, I don't know, I can watch a cruel movie if it's not boring, but this was just all the things that I hate. If I watched it again, I probably wouldn't be so harsh, but I saw it probably in 2010 maybe or something. Dude, I just really hated that movie, and so it's one of the rare occurrences where watching that one film has tarnished an actor for me. But I think that really comes down to I haven't seen him in anything else other than Next of Kin, which I find him boring in, and Wolf Creek, where I find him uh, just like rep- he has go-away heat. I've explained that to people. You know, if somebody has heat, it means that, like, you're mad at, like, you don't like them or you're angry at them or, you know, there's, like, negative feelings towards someone. But you you like being mad at them or, like, it's, it's like a good villain, right? Uh, for example... Uh, I'm watching Midnight Mass right now on Netflix, the TV series, and there is a woman, Bev, in it. I hate her. I hate her so much, but I, like, love hating her. Like, she's an awesome character, so much so that I sincerely hate her, you know? (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, then there's go-away heat where you have the same thing where you hate a character, but you're like, this is ruining this piece of media for me. And that's I don't know, like that's just John Jarrett for me. It's not even that he's a bad actor. I just feel like if I'd seen more, like with him in it, it would probably dilute those feelings, and I would have different a different approach to him. But I just so far he's like oh for two for me. I don't know, not a big fan of the guy. So uh, I do want to also highlight something because I'm keeping this short and a bit vague. I want you to go check this one out. Um, The last shot in the film is so great. Uh, All I'll say is it's an explosion. And it's the result of a happy accident, which occurred um, uh, on the set where the special effects person hit the button too early and the explosion happens before the camera quite catches it. Um, But I'm telling you this because you can look for it now uh, if you watch it. Um, It it basically captures the aftermath of of this special effect that's triggered at the wrong time. But... by doing it that way, even though it was an accident, it actually has like a really interesting effect rather than the camera actually seeing the explosion happen. And and for me, it also represents burning bridges to the past and, you know, moving forward toward the future. When you see it, you'll know what I mean. I find the ending very satisfying and uh, it always makes me like, a f- like the film more because I like the last 30 minutes so much and the end is kind of the perfect ending to this movie so despite me finding the first hour relatively boring with the exception of some key moments uh the last 30 minute really sells the movie overall but all in all I like the film uh you know for those that care it has a 100% Rotten Tomatoes score which sounds impressive but the intrigue is slightly diminished when you realize only six people have reviewed it uh the audience score is only 54% so you know I'm not surprised But Next of Kin is a time capsule of sorts from an era of Australian movies that seems to have kind of been lost over the last 30 plus years. There is uh, something about the new Australian cinema and exploitation that has a unique feel to it. And this film is no exception. So, uh, you know, that's largely why it deserves to be seen. And I encourage you, especially, namely horror fans, if you're a horror fan, uh, I encourage you to go check this one out. Uh, you can find it on Shutter, as I mentioned before, uh, as of the release of this episode. I give the film a three out of five, just squeaking over to my positive side. Uh, despite that, go check it out because it's its own thing. If you have seen the film and agree or disagree with me, please hit me up on social media. It's Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find me, Austin Glidden, at Austin Glidden on Twitter. Now let's go talk to Joe about a movie that is far more disturbing, controversial, and interesting. Joe and I are about to talk about Ken Russell's The Devils. Get ready. All right. uh, Well, Joe, this uh, was supposed to be an episode about 70s horror, and it turned into an episode about The Devils because What the fuck, Joe? Good God. It's considered uh, a horror movie, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's not really in terms of specific tropes. Like, it's not really doing, like, the horror thing. But because of how fucked up it is, I think it just gets kind of like Sallow or 120 Days of Sodom kind of gets thrown into the horror category. Um, But, yeah, this is pretty wild. I'll talk about it here in a moment. Um, But last week, we talked to Evan about horror movies. This week, we're diving in. Uh, with week Mm -hmm. two of Horror Month. So I'm happy it's The Devils now that we've seen it. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, I watched this a couple days ago. You watched it today before recording. Mm -hmm. We're both ready to go. Uh, This is The Devils from 1971, directed by Ken Russell, written by Ken Russell, based on a play by John Whitting, uh, and based on the book, which also the play Mm -hmm. was, called The Devils of Ludin Ludin, by uh, Aldous Huxley. Yeah, and uh, the cast is Oliver Reed, Vanessa Redgrave, um, Gemma Jones, and then I'm going to throw Murray Melvin, which no one will know by name, I'm sure, Um, Mm. but possibly my favorite character. (laughs) We'll We'll talk about that in a moment. It was released July 16th, 1971, and it brought in a total of $11 million. Um, I... I where I got that, it says in the US, but I don't think that's true. I think it only brought in like two million or something here. But collectively, between that and the UK, I believe, I could be wrong, no one quote me on that. But around eleven million dollars, which actually isn't terrible. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. But wow. Uh we'll we'll get there. So uh the book, The Devils of Ludan, uh has a premise as follows. It is a historical narrative of supposed demonic possession, religious fanaticism, sexual repression, and mass hysteria that occurred in 17th century France surrounding unexplained events that took place in the small town of Loudun. It's centered on Roman Catholic priest Urbain Grandier and uh, an entire convent of Ursuline nuns. Uh, who allegedly became possessed by demons after Grandier made a pact with Satan. The events led to several public exorcisms as well as executions by burning. Now, The Devils is a dramatized historical account of the rise and fall of Urbain Grandier, uh, a 17th century Roman Catholic priest, as we said, uh, accused of witchcraft following alleged demonic possessions of sexual repressed nuns. In some, this movie's fucked up. The latter part is the movie. The early part was the book, and they're the same. And my point in reading these, which was very redundant, is who makes that book into a movie? I'll tell you who, Ken Russell. Ken Russell said, uh, I was a devout Catholic and very secure in my faith. I knew I wasn't making a pornographic film, although I am not a political creature. Uh, I always viewed The Devils as my one political film. To me, it was about brainwashing, about a state Mm. taking over, uh, about the state taking over. And Joe, now that you have Mm. seen the film and have a basic idea of Russell's intent, just with that line alone, uh, where do you stand on The Devils? Should it be resurrected like Jesus Christ who was yeah. unfortunately raped by nuns in the movie? Or should it be burned alive at the stake? Joe, where do you stand <laughs> on the devils?
1: I think this movie's a goddamn masterpiece. Um, it was incredible. Um, I it, it's not often that a movie like this that is, you know, that, that it's, it's very sensational. It does very, you know, things that obvi- they're obviously designed to be um controversial. Like you said, like this scene with with Jesus being ra- like he was like pulled off the cross and raped. I mean, I I looked at it more like like they were having sex with him than he was being raped necessarily. But it was and to obviously- clarify,
0: this is Jesus. It, it's a statue, but <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but still, yeah. it's called the Jesus rape scene. Is like what it's yeah. n- infamously known as. But go ahead. <laughs> sure,
1: yeah, 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 and yeah. I mean, well then, yeah, then and we're talking maybe about a slightly different one too, because because there is one where. Oliver Reed's character uh, kind of turns into Jesus on the cross. Yeah, you're talking about the one early on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, both of those are are pretty equally, um, you know, just like insane and sensational. Uh, But yeah, this this movie um, brings to light a lot of kind of historical, religious sort of you know plays and texts and you know things like that. And this movie is. so well done. It was it was completely engrossing to me. It, I think it did exactly what Ken Russell wanted, wanted it to do. It made me deeply uncomfortable. Even as someone who's not particularly religious, it made me very uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And, you know, I I I do have obviously feelings and opinions about religion and about the religion of this time and you know, fanaticism in general. And um this movie captured it very well it it reminds a lot of the like the thing that keeps popping into my head is the crucible Um, the Mm. the arthur miller play you know i read it in high school and and i loved it so much it remains kind of one of my favorite plays and it's you know it's it's one that is so frustrating and maddening to watch and this you know this film was very much like that Um, it's a it feels like a searing indictment of religion and of politics and of um you know as you said like the state and you know how it you know how corrupt it is and how basically everything is corrupt and it is amazing and it's something that um you know like this movie wasn't on my radar even before you mentioned it i think maybe i'd heard of it but i'd never cared to explore it enough to watch and i'm really glad i did because it was insane and um uh this is to me it's like a a thing where i'm like hey go see this if you were if you're into this kind of subject matter or not whether you're a religious person or not you should watch it it's it feels like a very important movie to watch to me and and it has a lot of merit and um i'm glad that it's around yes to answer your question well, very glad that it's around. yeah it, you know it's it's funny
0: that you uh that you say that because i'm going to tell you a little bit about the film everybody and uh it t- kind of ties into this kind of being an unusual film for us to cover cuz I mm-hmm. we haven't always done this, but I always try to pick movies that that we can, that you the listeners can go watch, and this mm-hmm. one is actually quite difficult. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. The film started off as a, uni- a United Artists project, and then they backed mm-hmm. out when they read Russell's script. <laughs> so <laughs> Warner Brothers took over.
1: What's
0: that? What's that? <laughs>
1: I said, I don't know why they would have
0: done that. I know. Yeah, it's pretty wild, especially for 71, which blows my mind. Because when I was telling my – I was sending my former co-workers texts about the movie, just random stuff like, yep, watching watching a, a nun, yeah.
1: you know uh-huh.
0: – Fuck a Jesus statue. And they're like, what are you, what are you watching? Like, I'm just sending them yeah. intentionally cryptic, like, texts. Yeah. And at the end, I was like, this movie's actually really awesome. It's like a clockwork orange and the exorcist had a baby, but, like, the doctor yeah. delivering it was sallow or the 120 days of Sodom. Or 100 days yes. of Sodom. Like, you know, it's like this weird amalgam of controversy. But anyways... Yeah. Uh, Derek Jarman, or sorry, 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 I'm in the wrong place here. Uh, The film originally garnered negative critical response with critics calling it outrageous, overheated, and pornographic in nature. Roger Ebert, now I like Roger, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Bless his soul, he died, uh, you know, several years ago, but um, I didn't always agree with him. This is one time I didn't. Um, But I also understand that in 1971, the Devils probably seemed really gratuitous. But Roger Ebron actually gave the film a rare zero out of four. Wow. Wow. I'm actually impressed with that. Uh, That's the type of rating. He's done that a couple of times. And when Mm -hmm. I see that, I feel like I have to watch it. Like, it makes me want to watch it more. And I I hope that that has the same effect for our listeners with this one. Uh, The film was publicly condemned by the Vatican, who, though acknowledging that it contains artistic merit, They asked that its screening at the Venice Film Festival be canceled. And further, the film not only was banned in Italy, but the government uh, of the country threatened the actors Vanessa Redgrave and Oliver Reed to condemn them to three years in prison if they stepped foot on their territory. Yeah. (laughs) That's so insane. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, that's all like during like, right around when the film was released. The thing is, it was sent to a bunch of countries. It was basically banned from, like, so many countries, and then the countries it wasn't banned from, like, the vast majority of countries in the world have never gotten an uncut version of this. So, yeah. even if it wasn't fully banned, it was definitely censored. Mm-hmm. And this has such an interesting history because the the movie would be sent to places, and they would just edit it like yeah. like, like yeah. you know it's you know say it's just it's sent to you know uh I don't know Spain and they'll just be like no we're cutting out this scene you know and it, it's crazy because a lot of people question like have we ever seen an uncut version supposedly that there is one there's a UK DVD out which mm-hmm. of course would be a different region so you couldn't play it on US uh DVD players unless you had a region free one but uh, apparently that one when uncut. Warner Brothers is still hesitant to put it out today, even though the Criterion Collection and others have really pushed it. This would have been the year because it's the 50th year anniversary of the film. Okay. And Warner Brothers is just like, no, there's they rape a Jesus statue. Like we, mm-hmm. like like that's like that's one of the big things where it's like this is still too controversial. And and I just find that so fascinating that people are trying to pay a capitalist enterprise or a a business like Warner Brothers money for something. And they're like, we can't take your money for this. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, So uh, to give our listeners, if you've never heard of the devils, if it was pretty much off your radar, like it was for Joe before this, understand this is super controversial. While I was watching it, I was reminded of the three films I brought up A Clockwork Orange, which came out the same year, mm-hmm. The Exorcist, which came out two years later. Which, funny enough, in two years, there were a lot of regulations that were lightened up on, right? Or, or not regulations, but um, like ratings boards and different things were like a bit more open, I guess. Because uh, in many ways, I think like The Exorcist is just as shocking in some scenes, you know. But man, this one, this one is like the scene in The Exorcist where uh what's her name Reagan? Yeah. Yeah, where Reagan is like stabbing her crotch with the crucifix but like mm-hmm. the devil's just like that for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like Absolutely. I get it. But it did remind me of times that uh, uh of uh I'm going to start calling it just Sallow, but if you don't know what Sallow is, definitely go well, maybe you don't want to go Google it. I don't really know. <laughs> it's a very very controversial um Italian film, and uh, when it came out, I think it was 1975. Uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini, the filmmaker, he uh, made Sallow, and it's pretty much almost. It, it basically it's a depiction of a Marquis de Sade story, but it's like inherently political. It's almost like political to the extent of like the later Godard films after the French New Wave where he would literally make movies that only worked as a political statement and they're not like entertaining or or like Mm -hmm. interesting per se to watch really. It's just like I'm getting my political point across. Yeah. And Salo is like shock and politics, that's it. And it's like almost not even interesting to watch because it's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, people eating poop and giving kids (laughs) brownies with nails in them. Like, I don't know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's just like this awful thing, but like in the same way I'm watching the devils and I'm like, this is vastly more entertaining and the craft Mm -hmm. is better arguably, but it's like the same thing too. Like it really works on a political level and a religious level, like hugely you brought that up, but man, like the last 20 minutes of this and I don't want to jump to that yet. I'm just kind of putting a pin in this. The last 20 minutes of this becomes like shock aside, Mm -hmm. just a, phenomenal movie to me like that particular because everything before can be you can be distracted by the shock right or the or the ridiculous kind of hyperbolic feeling nature of of the movie right but like that last 20 minutes like Oliver Reed's performance is perfect and uh, like all the effects and everything that they go through and dude Mm -hmm. I don't know I, I just I watched this and I was just by the end I don't I didn't even like know what to say I was just like so into this movie um yeah me too i I'm so glad that you liked it too because yeah. this movie like there's a DVD out you can watch it's a censored version it's probably quite frankly just as good you'll just be missing out on the the Jesus statue rape and like a handful of small other little things but it still has to be crazy um yeah but you can you can probably see it that way uh yeah. Like, Joe and I had to just, like, find roundabout ways to even get, like, a relatively uncut version. I think it is the uncut Mm -hmm. version, but what does that even mean anymore? This movie is just crazy. I want to toss it back to you real quick, though. Um, I want you to start us off kind of furthering the conversation with some, like, a scene or or an aspect of the film that really stood out to you that you either, Mm -hmm. that you felt strongly about, liked or did not like. Uh, Where do you want to start?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I want to start with um, Father Grandier. Um, as a character, um, he's, he's a pretty despicable person, you know, um, he's, over, in an overall sense, he's, he's, a, um, so the, the movie starts with, you know, he's, he's sort of this corrupt priest, and he kind of like rules this town. Um, and he, you know, as it starts, he's um, speaking to this young girl who, with whom he's been having an affair, and she's pregnant. And he's talking to her about how basically that's not his problem, you know. Like I'm a priest; like this isn't my problem. And he's he's a dick for sure. You know, he's a <laughs> yeah. terrible person. Uh, but then at the same time, he's also like the protector of the town. The town is built like this wall and fortress. Um, yeah, and keeps, yeah, yeah. And it keeps them safe, basically. Um, and but it also kind of keeps them. Um, segregated from the rest of France and and so the king wants to basically uh well the cardinal richelieu especially wants to um demolish this wall and kind of make it because it um it allows them to harbor protestants is what he's saying yeah um and they, and the catholics are in the midst of 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 uh ethnically cleansing the protestants from France and there you know there's there's these scenes of just bodies stacked where they you know they've killed all these protestants and they're talking about killing protestants you you know, you see them doing it uh, in a couple of scenes. There's this bizarre scene where the king is shooting these, um, he's like shooting a gun and while he's talking to Cardinal Richelieu and, you know, this is a long drawn out scene and then at the end you find out that they've been putting these Protestants in these like giant bird costumes and then shooting them. And it's just very like, it, It you know, of course that kind of evokes memories of like the Holocaust and things. Yeah. But um, uh, but, but Grandier is, is kind of like his, the uh, he's like, you know, he's the big fish and on and he recognizes that um, France wants to do this. But at the same time, he's like, we're not going to just, you know, this is what makes us different. This is what keeps us safe. And we're going to, you know, we're going to do this because I want to keep banging all these women and being, you know, and being a powerful man. And um, it, it's, it's odd how he transitions from that into um, sort of the kind of the, I guess the hero of the movie. Um, he's the kind of the maybe the closest thing to a hero they have in this movie, even though, as I said, not a good person. Well, it's, it's just that everyone else is worse.
0: But it's interesting because I feel like Oliver Reed's uh, Grandier takes like a turn at a certain point. Yeah. Because like at yeah. the beginning he is because uh, I was going to bring this up. This was in my notes too. He's mm-hmm. such an interesting character to me. Not only is Oliver Reed perfectly acting in this, like uh, he has to be. I don't know much about Oliver Reed. I'll be honest. Yeah. But I'm assuming he was a stage actor because he has the gravitas of yes. like an Ian McKellen or something. Do you get what I mean by that? Or like or like, yeah, um, or like uh, yeah. what's the what's the Silence of the Lambs guy? Why can't I think of his name right now? Um, Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. Anthony Hopkins, like yeah. like that. Right. Like when he speaks yeah. and when he yells, he has that boisterous, guttural stage voice. And but it's great mm-hmm. in this. I, I love it. Yeah. But it's amazing. Because he starts off so despicable, that's like a perfect. I mean, how do you make someone more despicable than right. what? How they make him mm-hmm. at the beginning, but then he is actually a hero for all intents and purposes to the people, because not mm-hmm. only is he a gorgeous priest, as many of the nuns would would attest, yeah. but uh, he's fighting for them the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the extent yeah. of like committing treason, he will fight them uh, yeah. for them. So it's like all of his despicable nature is personal. Like it's all private and personal in his life. Not so private, I guess we find out, but you know, it's, it's personal, (laughs) but his heroism is public. And by the end though, he seems to me significantly less despicable. Not that any of these things are justified, but he actually Mm -hmm. does seem like the justice of the film by the end. So it's like yes. – it's something I'm still processing where it's like was there character development there or did he just through his own kind of passion and uh, – and by that I mean more of like the passion of the Christ, not the movie. But I mean like passion as in like his his travail or whatever. Like whatever you want to say, like his struggle I should say maybe. Uh, yes. Like becomes a hero – That It's just such a fascinating way to build a character. And I I want to point something else out, too. The book by Aldous Huxley, The Devils of Ludan, is noted as a nonfiction novel, okay? So anybody listening and thinking that someone just wrote, like, The Exorcist, basically, and then they made a movie about it? This is a dude that, like, learned about this stuff and wrote a historical book about it. Now, to what extent is it fully accurate? I have no idea. I think he's more like finding the historical narrative within like this lore that has been told. And there's a yeah. lot of stuff that's come out about it. There are more books being written about it uh, still. And uh, so w- when we say this, like Grandier was a real dude, like all of these people were like real people. Now, again, whether this is like a historically accurate depiction, probably not, but uh, you should go read about the real stuff. Cause it's like worse than the movie. And it's crazy. Wow. But like Oliver Reed is just I, I can't agree with you more. Like what yeah. what a character. Mm-hmm. Like you said, terrible, but then he's like also this hero. Great. There's a great like duality there. And and the 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 uh like least wicked of the group. Yeah. Right. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, it's he's great. Uh, he's, he's so great. Uh, I also want to bring up the like visuals of the film. We can get back to performances. Cause I'm going to go back to you in a second and see what else like kind of stuck out to you, but something that stuck out to me just to ping pong back and forth here were the visuals that I think for 1971, this film looks so good. Cause as you and I know a lot of movies that carry over into a decade, it usually takes a couple of years for that decade to kind of earn its, its own look divorced of the decade prior with the exception yes. of the filmmakers that were doing things ahead of their time. Like Kubrick, for example, with a clockwork orange has a very specific look and the devils does that as well. There's something about like the, the lighting and the way it looks and, and uh, like the sets, I, I was looking at the uh, guy who does all the set decoration and, and, and development stuff. Uh, Derek Jarman, And he was told to use Fritz Lang's Metropolis as an inspiration to create the visuals in Huxley's book, which I thought was really interesting because, like, Metropolis being a silent film, things were still exaggerated. That was still a part of, like, German Expressionism, though it was, like, not as Expressionism as, like, Doctor... uh, Wait, what is it? The uh, Dr. Caligari. I don't know why... My brain... This week too, <laughs> for some reason, I don't know what's going on. The cabinet of Doctor Caligari. There we go. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I find that really interesting because the lighting and different things. There's a point where, uh, do you know who I mean? Whenever when I say uh, Murray Melvin, he's the other priest with that stupid bowl cut, yes. friar hair uh-huh. or whatever the hell he has. Um, yeah, and wh- is he not perfectly cast? This guy. What a well, weaselly looking guy. He is such a weasel, yeah, absolutely. But there's a the point. You can Google it, you'll find the still shot where mm-hmm. um, it seems like the light is shooting from below him and like to the sides. So his face has all yeah. these shadows, and behind him it's mm-hmm. just like all white almost with like cells or something. Like I don't remember yeah. exactly like the exact image. Uh, but like that or or when um oh, what's her name? Uh Sister Sister like Jeanne, I think they call her, but Jean, yeah. Sister yeah. Jean is like uh because she has she has a deformity. She has a, like a hump back mm-hmm. and her neck is like twisted, so she's just like a weirdo the whole movie. And mm-hmm. uh and again, Vanessa Redgrave plays her great. I would love to come back to that. We'll put a pen in, in the character. But like there's a point where she's sitting there and all the nuns are in the back and it's just like a stark white room and and, and she's yes. just, like, crawling on her knees, like, with her rosary. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, that stuff is, like, kind of haunting, but it just looks so awesome to me. Even the yeah. scene where uh, the terrible Grandier, he's still a villain at this point, mm-hmm. but he runs into this house to stop these two guys from basically killing this woman because they're, yes. they're like, supposed to be these doctors, quote-unquote, uh, of sorts, yeah. but really they're just, like, these, like, like a mad scientist, basically (laughs) for all intents and purposes, they're basically mad scientists and they're like putting hornets on her and covering them with cups. And so like, she just keeps getting stuck. Like, dude, it's haunting. She has all, it's almost like cupping, like that type of physical therapy. Cause she has all these Uh. cups, like all over her body and she's screaming, lashing out like that scene is insane, but I think it looks so awesome. And I was just kind of struck by how ahead of its time it looked to me. Because if you look mm-hmm. at a lot of other movies, especially from 1971, unless they're shot all on location outside, if they're in a studio like a lot of this film was, because uh, it was shot uh, at Pinewood Studios or whatever in London, uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, when, if a movie's inside, a lot of times they still have that terrible 60s lighting. I hate the way yeah. that traditional studio movies from the 60s look a lot of times when they're inside because the lighting's so terrible. Um mm-hmm but this movie just looks great. I don't know how you feel about the visuals, but I, I, I want to talk about the visuals. I also want to talk about Vanessa Redgrave, but let's start with the visuals here. How do you feel about the way this movie's looked? Did it stick yeah, out to you?
1: Yeah, it's a gorgeous movie, and, and it, it makes the movie feel epic, and it gives this, it gives that great sense of scale and, and size. Um, it's not, you know, there, there are a lot of, you know, there are interiors and exteriors, and the... The last shot of the film, especially, which you know, I don't want to get into it too much, obviously, but the last shot of the film I thought was spectacular. um It was, you know, it's one of those sweeping, you know, like vistas kind of thing where you see, you know, out into the the horizon, uh, and it's just, you know, it was that, that was when I saw, I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's a, just a tremendous shot. But there's so many, they and they employ that those techniques from the kind of the '60s and '70s where. There's this kind of that horrific kind of madness, you know those those scenes that convey madness, the the kind of the faster cuts and the extreme close-ups and on on a horrified face and and you know like weird like focuses on sweat and things like that that I I just thought were so effective. Um, But but you know but but, you know kind of overall visually, you know you you mentioned a lot of those um, those really great shots, but there's the the sets were really tremendous.
0: So good.
1: and yeah, and, and and Russell just really filmed them beautifully. Um obviously, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna miss out on who the, the DP was, but um it was it, it was very it was amazingly well shot. Um t- you know to, to the point where I, you know it, it reminded me of it reminded me of a lot of different films that you know and I'll I'll jump into maybe some of those later, but um um the the look of the film was was just amazing. Um so it, it all, you know, that that all just kind of fits in with, with kind of why this is such just a, a magnificent film overall.
0: Yeah, you know, the guy who did the cinematography, uh, I'm just going to run down a few movies. He did Catch-22 right before he did The Devils, which is crazy. He did a few <laughs> other Ken Russell films. Uh, he also did, uh, I just saw a couple of them. He did Chariots of Fire, which is, that's funny. He did Out of Africa. He did Moonstruck. Uh, he did Hamlet. I think this is the, oh, this is the, uh, Mel Gibson Hamlet. That's super funny. Um, (laughs) I thought it was the other one, but that's fine. He did the Jane Eyre that I think is the one that I actually like. Uh, yeah. It has Charlotte Gonsberg and Anna Paquin in it. Uh, William Hurt. Uh, but yeah, so he like, you know, he's, he's no slouch. Like the guy had some good work and he's been working since like the fifties. You Know so uh, you know, he I'm sure he knew what he did, but you're right, man. It looks so good, I think, just yeah. the way it moves. Mm-hmm. Man, those slow pull, there is a scene, I think it's the, one of the first times you're actually introduced to Sister Jean. Or
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that how you say it, Jean? John, Jean. John okay, yeah. sorry, I, I pronounce that differently in my head, so I like second yeah, guess yeah. it all the time, but. <laughs> Uh, but there's the point where she's first, cause she does this multiple times, but she's on her knees, like crawling forward, but on either side of her are all of these nuns in a line and she's just going like yeah. right down the middle. This is like a precursor to a scene you brought up earlier actually, but, uh, man, like just the slow pullback that was almost like Kubrick, yeah. you know, like, and like you said, you can see other filmmakers or films in it. That could have inspired it, but at the same time, it's like Ken Russell just has this this specific vision, Mm -hmm. I guess, is what I'm going for. I don't really know, because it's rare that I see a movie like this. I already talked about Salo, where it's like, that's Mm -hmm. a movie that I don't really find particularly interesting to look at. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think it like, I don't think the performances are outstanding, It's just like very political and like very shocking. And that's kind of all I see it as not that I think it's bad. I think it's an interesting piece of film history. But when I see movies that are that shocking, even something like more recently, like a Serbian film or something, I don't find these movies that interesting in most ways. Like they're just, they're kind of, they hit one or two things and that's just what it is. Um, And like I said, Sallow is like political and shocking. Those are like the two things it hits. But man, does this fire on all cylinders for me? It like yeah. looks interesting. Even the scenes that feel like random and like senselessly shocking yeah. are like still interesting to me. Like, I don't really know how to articulate that yet because it does yeah. so much more than those. And and part like someone who's at the the core of a lot of these moments, and I don't mind I don't want to spoil anything, but I might get a little closer than I do normally just because one, I think people should see this. I want them to have context for some of these things, but also, mm-hmm. like, you got to find it first. Um, yeah. But I think... uh, I think... What is her name? I already forgot. Hold on. <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave? Did I say it right? Did I just, like, come yeah. up with that? I don't know why I'm so uh-huh. bad at names right now. But uh, Sister Jean is at the kind of heart of all of these kind of crazy moments, there's something related uh-huh. to her. And, uh, what is that scene? Uh, there is a, Oh dude, there's the scene where, so let me give some context to listeners. Cause I'm a little like scatterbrained with this movie. Cause I want to talk about everything at once. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, trying, no, like I'm like processing in the moment to try to like narrow down. Huh. As Joe said, the film is about the French government in the 17th century trying to demolish all of the fortresses around each of the cities, the biggest of which is the Loudun Fortress, like these walls, they want to tear mm. them down. As they start doing this, uh, Grandier, who was permitted by the just recently dead like leader, mm. the person that ran the city, the mayor yeah. of sorts will say, <laughs> you know, like the person <laughs> in charge gave Grandier all of the power until they replaced him. Okay. Mm-hmm. The dead leader. So Grandier has the power. So they're trying to destroy this fortress in Ludun. Mm-hmm. And he's fighting them at every turn because they don't actually have a decree by the king yet. They're just going for it. Yes. mm mm-hmm. So uh, so that's a big part of the political side. As Joe said, uh, a big part of it is the French government is worried, or really the religious aristocracy more so, but uh, they're worried that they're going to harbor Protestants and that they're going to be too strong to overtake if they mm-hmm. do something against the French government. Yeah. So as you can already tell, even though this is not a strong focus of the film in terms of there aren't full long, full-blown scenes talking about this. You get this in like Mm -hmm. one short scene and then it cuts back to the focus of the film. But -hmm. there's a lot to this movie is what I'm getting at. So you have all this political stuff, but then what happens is the religious folks do search for what kind of power they do have because they can't do anything without the king's blessing. Mm -hmm. And one thing they can do is if someone says that they have been possessed or someone else has, they can perform exorcisms. And these exorcisms almost become a punishment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. they almost become a punishment on the city uh, for their mm-hmm. for their wrongdoings, so to speak, for their sins. And there is a scene where the, this is not a spoiler, but this is like as close as I'll get. Where Sister Jean is they're trying to exorcise her of her demons. Do you know which scene I'm talking about, Joe? This, this sequence where... Yes, yes. This goes on for a while. And this is like wild. And there's, there's a guy named Michael Gothard. He plays Father Beret. And he comes in. He's the exorcist, right? And this guy is awesome. When I saw him, I was like, that is the most cliche 1971 British guy I've ever seen in my life. And then... <laughs> I, and then like, But as it goes on, his performance is so freaking good. And I'm like, mm-hmm. holy crap, I love this guy. And he's working with uh Murray Melvin's Mignon, uh mm-hmm. Father Mignon. And dude, when they start exercising these people and like mm-hmm. doing these kind of horrific things to them, to the point yeah. of like mass murder, and uh they basically they if they have the they believe that they are possessed by these like sexually depraved demons or something. They're basically going to stick this 17th century turkey baster up their, you know, vaginas, and they're just going to pump them full of this hot water to burn out Mm -hmm. the demons. Yes. Dude, this shit's fucking crazy. I don't even know what's going on when I'm watching this because it's like torture, but then it's like half the time it's like, like... Are these people really possessed? <laughs> like, cause right. like I might want to talk to you a little bit about like more of like the subtext of the end, not so much dis- like specific things. We'll get there, yeah. but man, sister, Jean, how great is she? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. and Insanely
1: good. Yeah. And that, that whole, that's, that's to me is when, when that guy shows up with his like quasi Harry Potter glasses and, you know, his, you know, his crazy hair, he's, you know, he's this fanatic, obviously, um, but he's, um, you know, he's obviously as cruel like many of these other people are, and he he just, he does basically the same thing that, you know, Father uh, uh, Grandier does, but he's, you know, just a, just a touch more ruthless about it, and when I say just a touch, I do mean just a touch, because you know, Father Grandier is pretty good at it himself. He's just not as outright cruel as this guy is. And yeah, and that 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 device that you you know you described, yeah, it is like a giant it's like a giant metal turkey baster. And you know, and it, it reminded me of uh like these squirt guns like the kids get now, where the, it's like a long plastic tube and there's like a plunger thing inside of it. And you know, you stick it in the water and, and pull the plunger out and it fills with water and then you spray it.
0: Yeah, it's like a syringe without a needle, you know, like just a syringe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Except, you know, except it's, you know, in this case, it's gigantic. Um, And yeah, and and he pulls that out, and I'm like, wow, this is like about to go places. Like, I didn't even know that it would go these places. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, and there's very much this, this whole sense of religious fanaticism that, that comes across and state sanctioned religious fanaticism too. And, the um and that's what makes it terrifying that's what makes it the horror movie and and kind of the the fun not fun but the the interesting thing about it is as the film starts this is grandier's you know thing this is what he's doing he you know they have they're having this ceremony and and he kind of is ending the ceremony by saying now um now church and state are one it, you know and it's like that doesn't sound right you know yeah. my, my American sensibility was like that doesn't sound right um and you know and it kind of just jumps off from there and, and everyone is obsessed with with religion as you said to the to the extent of you know demons are in you and you know it, it was easy you know as people are are trying to pass the buck and oh you know I got caught doing something like nuns are being caught masturbating and being you know and and kind of fornicating with each other. And it's like, Oh, well, yeah, the demons are getting into me and it, and it launches this witch hunt kind of thing. And, um, you know, now we're like, now we're looking for the evil that's causing this because, you know, it couldn't just be us. And, um, it's just so, it's so frightening and maddening. And, and, um, and terrifying, you know, as as it turns against them, as the the machine is kind of eating itself to an extent, you know, with with um, uh, the, you know the, the nuns are are turning on the priests, and you know they're they they obviously a lot of them have these um sexual attractions to him, and you know he's very popular amongst them, even though he's you know he's kind of almost like going through them and betting them, and you know some of them anyway, not necessarily the nuns, but some of the people in the town. And, and then kind of unceremoniously dumping them when it becomes, you know, inconvenient for him. So, you know, that kind of turns against him. And and then, you know, these other outside people are coming in who already kind of want him out of the picture, um, you know, so they can knock down this wall. And so they, it's it's a very easy and convenient excuse for them to be like, oh yes, he's the ringleader of this evil and he's got a demon inside him too. And now we have to take care of this and it, you know, it goes bad. It goes very yeah. bad. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, very... he he is the
0: uh perpetuator of possession in their minds, right? They're like he yes. has to be, and all they need is mm-hmm. someone to say so. Right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I say whenever they bring out the turkey baster, and it's like mm-hmm. it's like a weird like fanaticism, but it's also like like torture. Cause essentially yeah. they're trying to torture Sister Jean mm-hmm. to out yeah. Grandier. Mm-hmm. and again th- yeah. and, then this-
1: also, and then and then later on that goes to Grandier too. that's the that's the pattern, right? is hey, let's confess and let's, you know, let's point the finger at the person needs to be pointed at. and it's and it just turned into this big circle, right? And it turned at this at this point, it's like, how much are we now enjoying the torture part of this as opposed to, you know, we're trying to find justice. We're turning into we really like to punish these people. Like we really get this satisfaction out of it, um, out of you know you know this the sanctimoniousness of and this is like the you know the sanctimoniousness of religion. Um, you know that that it, where that obsession goes from being like, I'm I'm working on myself. I'm I'm devoted to being a better person myself. To hey, why isn't this person doing it? To well now I'm the person who is tapped with outing this corruption, and now it's my job to make the whole world a better place and to punish those who who I see as doing wrong. And it very quickly turns into that, you know, that whole big, now it's like, now I have the backing of the king and I'm just gonna go apeshit and I'm gonna torture everybody with these incredibly horrific devices. I'm just going to kill whoever yeah. I feel like in the
0: worst way. I mean, it's, it's it's McCarthyism. It's the Salem witch yeah. trials, right? It's yeah, it's absolutely. it's political.
1: Like mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. not
0: religious, even though it is also inherently religious. Like it's just this. Mm-hmm. It you summed it up perfectly. Whenever you mentioned the Grandier line of now the church and state are one, right? Yes. and uh-huh. uh and that's that's really ultimately what it's showing as horror <laughs> like yeah, uh yeah. and and dude when so the the whole thing is as i'm sure that you've guessed listeners uh you know Grandier who is um quote unquote uh outed as a person using witchcraft who has been mm-hmm. uh, named uh you know uh, let's just say it doesn't go well for him and a really? lot of bad happens. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some shit straight out of Misery. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the movie Misery. Uh, it's uh-huh. not the exact same, but it's there's just mm-hmm. say there's some fucked up devices going on and
1: yeah, and um, Braveheart as well. There's a lot of there's that, that's that's what's yeah. funny is there's I watched this movie. I thought about a lot of stuff. I thought about Braveheart, and and it also made me it, it also kind of changed my perception of Braveheart um, because it it was like. I thought because I thought about Mel Gibson for some reason. There's some something that reminded me of Braveheart. I was like, I wonder if Mel Gibson saw this movie. <laughs> you know, doing you know, The Passion of the Christ is another one. That's again, that's why it's like Mel Gibson. It's like this is like Mel. Maybe Mel Gibson seeing this movie and grossly misinterpreting it. And <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm gonna make these movies. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of how I felt about it. Uh, that's so funny. So it, yeah, there's so much of that, and you know, and you, and you mentioned, you know, a Clockwork Orange and, and The Exorcist, and um, I, it, it's funny because you said The Exorcist earlier, and I thought, you know, it's given this movie, it's really weird to me that The Exorcist was was so controversial in the wake of this movie because they came out within a few years of each other, right? I think yeah, the Exorcist. two years. Yeah, it was seventy-three. Yeah, seventy-three. Okay, yeah, and it's like The Exorcist is is tame compared to this movie, you know, the, the way that, you know, the way I see it, I mean, it's not not as blatantly
0: blasphemous. We'll say it that at times there are spikes, right? Yeah. But uh,
1: Uh go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this, This movie to me took all of those, those most incendiary parts of the exorcist and spread it out. I mean, there are, I mean, and as you said, we're watching the uncut version, but there's long, this long scene that, that the quote unquote, Jesus rape scene with the statue is it's pretty, you know. It's pretty perverse. I mean, yeah. there. It's like it's like group sex with it's like nuns having group sex with a statue. Yeah. And, and and it's pretty graphic, um, for the time. You know, again, also, um, you know, there's the grandier as Christ thing where he, you know, we see a scene where there's Jesus on the cross and I, who I I suppose assume is supposed to be like Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Um, is you know is, is like calling to him and singing and then it turns. And then it turns sexual very quick and um Jesus turns into Grandier and he kind of comes off the cross and then they're like having sex and it's very and she's like licking his wounds and it's it's just like and I mean if this sounds disturbing it is but at the sa- you know at the same time I'm thinking I'm like oh gross like she's licking his blood <laughs> and then I'm like you know what? like like this is what they're like you go to church any given week and we're drinking the blood of Christ right in a metaphorical way and and we're eating his flesh in a metaphorical way. And it's like, how detached is this from actual Catholicism? You know, it's like not very. <laughs> so yeah. the the whole thing is very disturbing and, and very um it, it hits very close to home.
0: Yeah, man. Um dude, this movie is just crazy. Uh you know, it's dude, it's no surprise that this thing is was banned like everywhere. The explicit sexual and violent content paired with mm-hmm. the commentary on religious institutions and, and politics, you know, <laughs> like um, significant censorship feels like an understatement just because it, there was just so much yeah. going on. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. like I said, the two scenes that were cut from the, uh, the film that was put out on DVD, not the uncut one, but the censored one are the naked nuns, sexually defiling the Jesus statue. Uh, as mm-hmm. we have said the, the Rape of Christ scene, which yeah. calling it that almost makes it like worse to me. But anyways, yeah. um and then the sister Jean, there's there's a scene where she's <laughs> this is so funny. I'm not gonna talk about exactly what happens. I'm gonna keep this vague, but there's a point, there's a scene where Sister Jean masturbates with a charred femur. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Dude, that's yeah. so funny. Like, <laughs> just to read it, I mean, it's it's fucked up, but it's like, yeah. it's so good. So here, here's my question for you. I think this feels obvious to me, but part of me, I can't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. So this was based on uh, the true events as told by Huxley in the book. Yeah. Um. Apparently, there is some information that has come out with a new book that's being writ- written about the film where something in their f- f- some food that they had I can't remember the specifics but whatever it was fermented, but how it fermented Ooh. created almost this like LSD type like okay. effect. So yeah. when all of these women in this convent like part were partaking of whatever this thing was unbeknownst to them they were essentially being drugged. And like going crazy, uh, that, that Mm -hmm. might be a solution, which is crazy. Again, that's, that's not confirmed, but it's like an something people have come out to say that's possible, but dude, like in the movie, not the real life, but in the movie, I just, I, I look, I look at it and I'm like, I don't think any of these people were ever actually possessed. It, yeah. feel, it seems like it was that they were so sexually repressed mm-hmm. that when they were given the okay, and there is a point where they're literally given the okay by the king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like when they're given the okay to go wild, basically, right. they let loose, but I believe they think they're possessed. Do you get mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's this yeah. psychosomatic thing where they think that the devil's taking over. When yeah. in reality, it's just them having some, like, psychological, delusional, like, <laughs> like fit, you know? But there is this weird scene, though, where one of the main nuns... I'm trying to keep it kind of vague, even though I'm, like, letting some things go. But yeah. uh, one of them kind of spider walks and, like, talks yeah. weird. And I'm like, uh-huh. wait, but are you... Are you faking this? <laughs> like what yeah. I love about the movie is it plays with that. And, I, and like I said, I think it's clear that they're not actually possessed, but they actually think that there's some control over them and they let loose and they're doing things they would never in the million years dream that they could do. Yes. But it's like, man, sometimes the movie just made me wonder, like, are some of these people possessed, though? Because it looks freaking wild. And yeah. then you have like, I mean, guys listening to this, this is wild because like we've talked about the the rape of Christ scene with the with the statue. We've talked about, uh, I mean, a, a person gets burned alive. Uh, yeah. A a person, uh, I, I, like I mentioned, masturbates with a, a charred femur. <laughs> yeah. which still cracks me up just to say out loud. Uh, there's a point where uh, there is a an orgy of naked nuns and a priest masturbates watching them from above. Um, like, uh, I mean, dude, you could just go on and on and on with shocking one-liners that this movie has, but I can't Mm -hmm. express enough how much merit I think the film has artistically that like, it's like a really good movie. If you can actually see past what might be distractions for some people, like there's something sincerely good here. And, and I guess I just want your take as vague as you want to be, uh, your take on the end. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of how it made you feel, how it left you. This is uh, mm-hmm. both the last twenty minutes uh, related to mostly to Grandier, it mostly surrounds yeah. Grandier at that point, but also just oh. like um, like a lot of these controversial scenes I just mm-hmm. I just named. You know, like how yeah. how did this leave you? How did you
1: feel by the end of this yeah. year? Uh, just just dirty and you know uh, and bad and you know. Sort of depressed and angry, you know. Like there's there's a lot of and and this is all by design, obviously, um, given the subject matter. Um, But yeah, but yeah, all of those things, yeah. The the sexual repression is strong, and that and that is the underlying, you know, that's that's the underlying kind of causality of everything. I think whether you know uh, the the um, and the the um, possession part of it all is obviously an excuse. And yeah, and, and like you said, there's there's that spider walk thing where you know that's very evocative of the exorcist yeah. Um, from later on you know you in a, in, a, in a cinematic you know way um yeah there there's just so much weird stuff and it's and it's tremendously done you know the, the just these various there's just these various scenes of of the nuns and they um you know uh there's there is a scene where one nun catches another masturbating and she starts to masturbate watching her there are you know the nuns are making out with each other in other scenes, and you know, and and maybe full on having sex with each other. There's a lot of there's a lot of that around, and it's all very like secretive and and you know they're they're the nuns are kind of like lusting after Father Grandier, um, and it's just all like it's it just is out of control. You know, it, it's out of control, but in a very this is a very bad thing kind of way. So yeah. Um, I, I you know I, there's there's a couple of things that, from the beginning that that hit me as well that were kind of these because you know because France you know at this time is also this very decadent place and there's a lot of you know France has always had this um, this rep, this reputation of like sexual liberation and you know this like just sexual like openness and um, not not even necessarily openness, but let's say creativity <laughs> sexually speaking. Um, and the, you know, there's a scene at the beginning where there are, you know, there are men who are performing as if they're women and wearing like bikinis or bras, kind of thing. There, there was one one image that kind of caught me early on was one where um, there's a man wearing a dress. He's very much meant to be, you know, he's very much dressing as a woman. He's wearing a dress and he's got like makeup on, but he's clearly a man. He's got like a hairy chest, and there's another man behind him reaching down into his dress as if he's like cupping, you know, a, a woman's breast. And it was, you know, and it was very, you know, it was very kind of a tawdry kind of thing. But, you know, with, with it being the two minutes, it was it even had this other dimension that was, that almost just made it disturbing. <laughs> and, you know, that this is the, the very first scene where there uh you know, that ends, as I said, with Father Grandier talking about how church and state are now united, you know, and there's all of this, you know, there's just all these like, um, kind of androgyny and cross-dressing and things um, done in a very kind of as a big display it, it almost looks like a like a weird perverse drag show and it, it's just it's off, so it's off the wall and disturbing especially given the time frame um, that it, you know it, it certainly sets the tone for the rest of these things and how these people who have been told that you have to be so chaste and pious and, and there's even a there's even a, a debate with, with Grandier and, and, and one of the nuns, um, or someone else about the um whether it's a sin for a, a priest to to have sex and you know to have a relationship. And you know, he's there's a lot of this like, well, it's not even really a bad thing. But then it's like, but then you know, they're saying, well, you know, the Bible does say that you know marriage is is an important thing. And Um, You know, a a man and a woman being married and having children is wonderful, but also you're not supposed to do that. And and there, he has a line, Grandia has a line where he says, you know, marriage is good, but chastity is better. And, you know, so so it's just like it, it was a very interesting kind of debate and discussion when you're like, well, yeah, so how do you reconcile that? And the answer is man comes in and just makes it whatever he wants so that he can control people. Yeah. And... And and that's essentially kind of the overarching message in this movie. So um, so yeah. So uh, you asked me to go into the end, and I proceeded to go all over the rest of the film. That's fine. Uh, so, so it um yeah. But you know the, the end of course is that culmination, and you know we see Sister Jean's um kind of final you know the final analysis of that, and that that it it turns into this, um very. Uh, Lady Macbeth kind of moment. It, you know what that reminded me of, oddly, was the end of Mystic River when, um, you know, Laura Linney's character and, and Sean Penn's character are there and, and Sean Penn's character reveals that he killed his friend, his you know, he killed one of his best childhood friends because he thought he murdered his daughter, only to find out that she didn't. And then his wife, you know, comes and, and instead of being horrified, she's like, you did what you had to do. You are a king and I'm your queen. And you did what you had to do. And and that scene was was you know had a lot of parallels with the scene in, in uh in The Devils. Um with uh, and I, I can't remember who it was, the guy that it was that was in there speaking with her in the, the yeah. chamber.
0: I'll look up his um, name because I forget his name, but I know who you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it was uh um it, it was it's this disturbing scene where someone maybe realizes they did something really terrible and they and they rationalize it to themselves in such a way, not only in such a way that they can excuse it, but that they can completely justify it. And that's that's kind of what happens in this. Is It's just a, you know, we did what we had to do, and it was the right thing. It's, it's not only is it like I'm going to make myself feel better. I'm going to tell myself I still did the right thing, Yeah. and I shouldn't feel guilty about it. And it's disturbing as hell, and it's terrifying as hell. And, um, and, and that's kind of the, you know, again, that's the lesson of this movie is unchecked power. That's, that is divine in nature cannot be questioned. Um, because you know, when, when that, you know, when, when all of those things come together where you can't question that power at all, it, it goes very bad. And the people who have that power go really bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you were, uh, you were referencing, uh, Baron de l'abardement <laughs> played by <laughs> Dudley Sutton. That's why I can't remember his name because it's so damn long. That dude rules. Yeah. Uh, we can't get into uh-huh. that because we got to start closing down here. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, Oliver Reed, Dudley Sutton, Vanessa Redgrave, uh, Murray Melvin, uh, Michael Gothard, Gemma Jones, which we never even got to, who is kind of the love interest and yeah. kind of wife almost of mm-hmm. of uh, Grandier. She's, she's absolutely great as well. Um, but just didn't quite have the the shock and awe that we were kind of drawn to talk mm-hmm. about, I guess. But she's really great. To clarify, yeah. I just think this film is so good. Uh, I encourage yeah, all of amazing. you to find a way to see it, even if it's the censored version. Just watch it. Because the stuff getting cut out is just going yeah. to be like the really extreme Stuff which mm-hmm. is, I, I'm not saying it's not important, but you're still gonna, it's still gonna cut through. You're gonna get it. Yeah. Um, also, get on YouTube and watch people talk about it. Uh, William Friedkin talks about how kind of impactful it was on him, talking about The Exorcist. You know, you and I have mentioned that movie. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just a crazy movie. Everyone should check out if you're a fan of horror or film history or uh, you know, films about religion and politics, <laughs> like any of these things. Yeah. If you can stomach the wildness, The Devils is yeah. your movie. Uh, Joe, mm-hmm. thank you so much, man, for watching thank this you. and talking about it. I'm so glad you liked mm-hmm. it. Uh, anything yeah. that you want to leave us off with?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, you, you talked about those reviews that, and how everyone slammed it for, for how gratuitous it was that gratuitousness is important. Um, to me, I, uh, the, to me, the watching a more censored version is a, is going to be a lesser experience as, t- and and my God, this was a tough watch. I mean, it wasn't an easy movie to watch, um, as great as it is, but that gratuitousness is the point, uh, to me. And that's why that's part of the reason I love it so much. So, um, if, if you want to watch that sensor did do it, absolutely. If, If that's, especially if that's the only way you have to easily see it. Um, if you can find the uncut versions, I would, I recommend seeking it out. It's gonna, it's gonna haunt you, but, um, it's certainly worth it. And it's again, it's the point. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll have to talk that. I love Roger Ebert too. I'll chalk that up to his, you know, um, attempt to be mainstream maybe at the time, his, maybe his, where his perspective was at the time, but I I love this movie too. This is this movie, you know, as I'm talking right now, I'm like, this is a a movie I'm going to talk about a lot, um, you know, to people. And, and it's a movie that I'm going to be like, maybe this is among some of my favorite movies, which is hard to say movie i've seen once but it is tremendous um not maybe a movie i'm going to watch over and over because it's like i said a tough thing to watch but it's it's an experience for sure and it's a powerful experience um uh it, it, that i would put akin to the way some other people may have said passion of the christ years ago i'm like fuck that this movie <laughs> this is the, yeah. this is a movie that the passion of the christ thinks it is but is absolutely not
0: yeah Well, dude, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's great. I just want to thank you again for being on here. Everybody, definitely go just look into it even. Learn a bit more about it. Um, And uh, until next time, Joe, thanks a lot, man.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, everyone, that is our show for today. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Joe again, as always, for being on here so often. And uh, we had a really great time watching them. So glad they liked the Devils as much as I did. Uh, That was a really fun conversation to have. Uh, But, yeah, uh, also Next of Kin, remember, you can find that on Shudder. Definitely go check out Next of Kin. Um, It's I don't know, Next of Kin is just, again, it's it's not a movie that blows my mind at all. The last 30 minutes is cool, but it's a movie that I want people to see just so you can have your own opinion, you know? Uh, So that's fun. Uh, We have some really fun stuff coming up for you. Uh, For the next rest of October, I'm trying to focus on either really huge titles coming out or horror movies. So um, keep an eye out for that. Uh, Once November hits, I'm basically trying to knock out a ton of 2021 stuff. Uh, so I'll be doing a lot of uh, reviews of films that have come out this year, either that have just come out or have come out in the last nine months or you know whatever. So uh, just keep an eye out for all that. Please come visit us uh, and listen to us uh, next week. Uh, I believe Joe will be with me next week as well. So until then, thank you so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good luck and take it easy.